Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, Paul said, I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. What does that mean? What does it mean for us? How do we get out of that bondage to sin? Let's learn about sin and what it means in our lives today. Open your Bibles with me and let's look in Romans chapter 7 and see what Paul teaches us about sin. I don't understand how it happened again. I know what God said. I agree with what God says. I want to do what God says. In fact, I promised myself I wouldn't do it again. I promised God that I wouldn't do it again. And despite all of that knowing and all of that desire, I did exactly what I said I would never do again. I sinned. And I don't know how it happened. It's almost as though I see in my mind and agree with God, and yet there's just something else in my body that drives me to sin. I don't know how it happened. It's as though I am no longer in control. But sin controls me. What does that sound like to you? An excuse maker? A weak-minded Christian? A hypocrite? A weak-willed hater of God? Do you realize that that's actually Paul? In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. That was the Edwin Crozier paraphrase of Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 23. In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. As confused as I have been by this passage for a number of years, every time I read it, I always come back to one clear point. Been there, done that. I know this feeling. And while I do believe that Paul is describing his life while he was under the law before becoming a Christian, sadly, the same thing can be said too often about me since I've been a Christian. Do you know that feeling? That feeling that even though you knew what you were supposed to do and you wanted to do it, you did something else? It's as though your body just had a mind of its own, a slave to sin? Have you been there?
because I have misunderstood this passage for so long, I'm afraid that I have missed out on some of the promises of God's victory. And I'm also afraid that I haven't been the least bit of help to just about anybody. I mean, I recognize on doctrinal questions that if, if you have a question about doctrine, I think I can do pretty good at answering that and going to the verses on most things. But in all the time that I've tried to help somebody really overcome sin in their lives, it's just about always miserably failed. I think the reason is because I've misunderstood this chapter. In this chapter, in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about sin. What it is and what it does. And how we can overcome it. We often talk about confessing sin. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Are you aware that the word translated confess in the Greek, homo legeo, actually means to say the same thing as? In the biblical context, when we're talking about confessing something, we're meaning that we are saying the same thing as God about that something. Therefore, when we're actually talking about confessing our sins, we're not just saying that we're telling God that we're a sinner. When we are confessing sin, we're actually saying the same thing about God, or the same thing about sin that God says about it. And I'm afraid that for a long time, I've actually stopped short of saying exactly what God says about sin. And I want to share with you some things that I've learned from Romans chapter 7 just within the past few weeks. Some things that I think will help us. I hope they'll help you as much as they've helped me. By the time we're done, I, know, I have no doubt that some of you are going to say, well, duh. You know, it's about time, Ed, when you caught up with the rest of us. I'm sure there will be some of those. But for others, I hope that this is beneficial. And if it's not, just know that it helps me just to tell you what it says. Before we actually look at the text, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are humbled before you. We are amazed that you have loved us despite our sin. And we are so thankful that you have sent your Son to die for us, to forgive us of our sins, and to deliver us from our sins. We pray that you would strengthen us, that you would be our strength, our rock, our shield, our deliverer, and our fortress. Father, we recognize that we can do all things through you, through your Son, through your Spirit who strengthen us. And we pray that you would be that strength. Help us to quit relying upon ourselves, but to rely on you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us because we have sinned often and frequently. We pray that you would forgive us for the sins that we've committed with our eyes, with our ears, with our mouths, with our hands and our feet. The sins that we've committed with our heart and our mind. We pray that you would cleanse us of those and that you would deliver us and help us to take the way of escape that you have planned for us. Father, we recognize that you have created good works for us to walk in, and we pray that you would strengthen us to walk in your path. Lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from evil. We pray that you incline our hearts to your testimony, that you would put blinders on our eyes and guards over our mouths and filters over our heart, that we will see only what you would have us see, that we'll say only what you would have us say, that we would think only what you would have us think. Father, we love you. And we praise you and we ask that we ask humbly that you accept the praise we offer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Paul here in Romans chapter seven talks about sin, the very first thing that he tells us is that sin is defined by God's law. In Romans chapter seven, back in verse seven, 
Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, Paul said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about covenant if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Paul knew what covenant was, and Paul knew that covenant was sin because the law had defined it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. We know what is sin. We know that we are sinners because the law of God has declared that. Sin is violating God's law. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says this, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is the violation of God's law. Sin is doing what God has said not to do. Sin is not doing what God has commanded us to do. Very interestingly, if you go back to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. This is Romans 3 and verse 19. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. And then in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22, Paul wrote, But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law of God, the Word of God, defines what is sin. And the law has demonstrated, the Word has demonstrated that we sin. That we're sinners. And it has shut us up under that sin to demonstrate our need for a Savior. The second thing that Paul says is that while sin is defined by God's law, it distorts God's law. Look in Romans 7 again. This is very interesting. There's a couple of interesting verses here that say something that is rather shocking. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 5, Paul wrote, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, Paul said, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. And then again in verse 11, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. God provided the law in order to define and describe sin, in order to help us to avoid sin. But sin has distorted the very tool which God gave to help us know sin and avoid sin. Sin has distorted it and uses it to produce sin. I recognize this is somewhat shocking to us. It's so shocking that a lot of commentators try to make these verses say something other than that. Because we're afraid that that's going to make God the author of sin. But interestingly, that is exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that sin uses the law to produce sin in us. It twists it, it distorts it. and causes us to sin. Paul recognized that some folks would be afraid that meant God was the author of sin. He anticipated that objection, and so he responded. What shall we say? Verse 6, is the law sin? May it never be. Paul had pointed out, no, the law is not to blame. God is not to blame because of His law for my sin. He said, I am to blame. The law simply was there to show me what is sin. But nevertheless, sin used that law and aroused in me passions, and took opportunity through commandment and made me sin. Think about this. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, do you remember what the very first thing Satan, the serpent, said to Eve was? 
The very first thing is he focused her on God's law. He said, did God tell you you couldn't eat from every tree in the garden? That's where he started. Here's the law of God. And starting from there, produced in her the desire to sin. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 17 understands this concept. In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 17, the boisterous woman says, Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It just almost seems natural that we like what is forbidden. The forbidden fruit is attractive to us. Why? Because not only does sin distort God's law, sin deceives. According to Paul there in Romans chapter 7 and verse 11, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me. God has said not to do this, but sin deceives me and lies. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. The Hebrew writer said, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Remember what James points out, that lust produces sin. It's deceitful. Our desires and sin deceive us. Remember what Satan did again in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve after he focused her on the law? Did God say you couldn't eat all of this? Oh, yeah. Well, no, he said we could eat all of it, except for that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day we eat of it, that we're surely going to die. Remember what Satan said? You're not going to die. No, God doesn't want you to eat of that, because he knows when you do, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like him, and you'll know good and evil. You see, what sin tells us is that, no, the reason God has forbidden this, God is withholding something from you. If you actually commit this sin, you'll have fulfillment. You'll have happiness. Sin tries to tell us that it can provide a delight to our eyes. It can provide good for our bodies. And it can provide for our wisdom and self-esteem. But it's lying. And it's not surprising that it does that because John 8 and verse 44 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And every time he lies, he's just speaking from his nature. That's just what he does. He lies. And so it shouldn't surprise us that sin deceives. Sin promises fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction. And no doubt, there are a lot of sins that for a moment provide a lot of pleasure. But in the end, it's empty. Because in the end, sin not only distorts God's law and deceives us, sin destroys us. Paul there in Romans chapter 7 and verse 11 said, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. James, in James chapter 1, talks about what sin does to us. In James chapter 1, verse 14 James chapter 1, beginning at verse 14, he said, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Why do you think he said don't be deceived? 
Because he knows that sin is trying to deceive us. It's trying to tell us it won't kill us, but it does. Sin destroys. Sin kills. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, Our sin is what separates us from God. That's the greatest damage that sin does. It destroys our relationship with God. But interestingly, sin is such that even in our lives, sin actually destroys our lives. We go again back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were living in the absolute perfect world. Their sin not only destroyed their relationship with God, but their sin got them cast out of the perfect world. It destroyed their world. Sin caused Eve to have pain in childbirth. Sin caused Adam to have to toil and labor. Sin destroyed their world. Now, none of us live in a perfect world. Sin is already in the world. So it wasn't perfect the day we got here. But when we sin, we are ruining our lives. And what the Scripture points out to us is that it doesn't matter what the sin is. When we continue in that sin, it is going to damage our lives. It's going to destroy us. We think about the big ones. <coughs> Excuse me. We think about the big ones. Murder, stealing, embezzlement, those kind of things. Those will certainly destroy our relationships. They'll cost us our jobs, our livelihood. They'll probably even land us in jail. But what about other sins? What about lust and pornography and immorality? That's going to destroy our marriage. That's going to destroy our, that's going to destroy our morality. It is even going, it's going to impact the, the way we view other people. It destroys our ability to relate to other people. It even impacts our kids. What about lying and gossip? Slander? Backstabbing? Oh, those are, those are little small ones, right? Except for the fact when that's the kind of person I am, people don't trust me. It ruins my influence. It ruins those relationships. People won't listen to me. People won't trust me. And we wonder, how did that happen? It happened because of sin. Sin destroys our lives. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our influence and impact on the world. And most of all, it destroys our relationship with God. Sin kills. Don't be deceived. Sin destroys. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But here's where I've always fallen short. Romans chapter 7 points out something else about sin. Sin dominates. Paul began his statement there in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. What's Paul saying there? Paul is not saying that he was born that way. Paul is saying that because he had sinned, because he had submitted to sin, sin had taken control in his life. In fact, he had already demonstrated that concept back in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. What did he say in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19? He said in Romans 6 and verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. What happens when I sin? Paul says, look, when you sin, it just produces more sin. Notice what he said in verse 16 of Romans 6. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? He says, when you submit yourself to sin, you become a slave to sin. 
Sin takes over. It becomes the taskmaster. It's like it's beating you over the head to get you to do what it wants. And it takes control. And you lose control. Because you handed it over to sin. Paul said, that's what I did. Paul said, the law said don't covet. And that produced in me coveting. And it produced in me coveting of every kind. i got to tell you, in reading Romans chapter 7, for a long time I've always said I can really relate with Peter. For some reason, I've always read Romans 7 as if Paul was talking about someone else, but he says, me, I, this was me. This is Paul. This is the guy who we think had it made before he became a Christian. All he had to do was get baptized and everything was good. He said, this was him. Sin had control in his life. He was a coveter. Producing him coveting of every kind. Sin had control. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 In Ephesians chapter 2, look at what Paul said there. He says this about all of us, all Christians. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That word nature doesn't mean born that way. It means through continued practice and habit. He says, look, we walked in the flesh. We indulged the flesh. Guess what it did to us? It made us by nature children of wrath. It was second nature to us. Sin was natural. It was like putting on a broken, pair, a broken in pair of gloves. They, it just fits. It's where we're comfortable because it's what we've done all our lives. That's what Paul said. That's sin. Have you ever heard of the concept of body memory? I think it's almost providential what what Jimmy talked about with the Lord's Supper because that's the issue, habit. Here's body memory. Has your spouse ever said to you as you're about to leave and go to work or go to the store, hey, could you pick up the dry cleaning? And you said, absolutely. And so you get in the car and you say, don't forget to get the dry cleaning. You pull out of the driveway and you start taking off and what do you say? Don't forget to get the dry cleaning. And then all of a sudden, maybe a song came on the radio, you started singing or whatever you do in the car, all of a sudden you're at the work, you're at the store, and your spouse calls you and says, hey, did you get the dry cleaning? Um, no, I was planning on getting it on the way home. Is that okay? And so you get back in the car after work or you're done with the store and you say to yourself as you get in the car, don't forget to get the dry cleaning. You pull out of the parking lot and you say to yourself, don't forget to get the dry cleaning. And then the next thing you know, you're walking through the front door and your spouse is saying to you, hey, where's the dry cleaning? Anybody else do that? You know why? That's called body memory. You have driven to work or driven to the store so many times, your body knows what to do. And in a brief moment of weakness or distraction, when you forget to specifically think about the dry cleaning, it's gone, your body takes over, it just does what it's comfortable doing. It just does what is natural. I can tell you one of the things I've learned. If I come up here to the building, to the office, during the week, not if, when I come up here to the office during the week, if it's during the school hours, I don't want to come down uh, Liberty Pike. Because there's a school right there. I know that I can keep going down Highway 96 and get to Eddie Lane or whatever it is and cut and I miss that. But man, I forget every time. I forget every time. I always hit that school traffic. Why? Because I'm not thinking about it. Body memory takes over. This is the way I go to the office. I just, that, I just do that. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. At some point in our lives, we made the decision to commit sin. 
And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And finally, what happened is we became slaves to sin. And when we in our own strength are saying, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, there's going to be a moment of stress, there's going to be a moment of anxiety, there's going to be a moment of distraction, and our body has been trained to sin, it will take over and just do what comes natural. It's comfortable. It has become the master. We have given control to it. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. And he gets down to the end of that description of what his life had been like under the law before coming into Christ. And he says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then in verse 25 he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with the mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with the flesh the law of sin. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus sets us free from sin. From sin's distortions, from sin's deceptions, from sin's death, and from sin's domination. Jesus will set us free. That's what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. He's actually referring back to what he said in verse 23. That I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. He said, you can be set free from that law, that law that is dominating, that has taken over your body, that you've trained it, you've cultivated it, and now it's in control. Jesus will set you free from that. Because the law of life in the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus will set you free from that law that's dominating your members, that law of sin and death. Jesus can do that. Now, I know a lot of people look at verse 10 of Romans 8. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, there are a lot of people today that look at that verse and say, see, even after you become a Christian, your body is still just going to be dead because of sin. There's nothing you do about it. Your body's just sinful. It's just going to keep on sinning. But just keep the mind pure. The mind will be right. God will purify the mind and everything will be okay. But notice what he says in verse 11. Yeah, that, that position stops at verse 10. It doesn't see this, because verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Notice what he says? If the Spirit dwells in you, it will give life to your mortal body. The mortal body that was dead but has now been purified by Christ, the Spirit of life will give life to that body. It will get rid of that law of sin and death. It will get rid of that taskmaster. And I don't want to get distracted this morning by talking about what it means for the Spirit to dwell in us and what exactly that is. We'll talk about that some other time. I just want you to see that whatever it's talking about, it says it'll deliver us from the law of sin and death. That dominator that is controlling us and pushing us, Jesus will deliver us from that. You know, the sad thing is that today, so often, we take a look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and we believe that the deliverance that it offers is simply just a deliverance from guilt. And we're delivered from guilt so that we can go on to heaven, but I'm probably just going to keep sinning all my life. I just can't help it. In fact, I overlook most of it now anyway because I've tried and I just keep doing it. But what Paul says is, God will 
deliver us. Not just from the guilt of our sins, but from the domination of sin in our lives. Jesus didn't die so that we would say, well, at least I'm forgiven, but I can't help but keep on sinning. Jesus died in order to deliver us from those sins. And I'll tell you what Paul says. Paul says he couldn't do it on his own. Paul said that he had tried it on his own and it didn't work. But God gives the strength to overcome. There's so many things that I want to share with you about this. I want to talk to you about the growth aspect of this now that we're Christians. I want to talk to you about what God does, what we're supposed to do to, to, to help this work, to, to cause all this to work. We don't have... I don't want to put all that. I think this is probably enough. Really, there's just one point that I want you to know. If you've ever felt like this, Jesus will deliver you. When we follow the gospel God's way, when we look at what He says, Jesus has promised, I will deliver you from this. Have you ever had that feeling? The sin that you're still struggling with that still dominates you? Lying, gossip, slander, immorality, alcohol, gambling, covetousness, materialism, greed... Pornography, lust, disobedience to parents, disrespect of authority. Are there any of those sins that you that, that have kept plaguing you and plaguing you? Have you ever got to the point where you either did one of two things? You either said, well, you know, I'm only human. I sure hope God overlooks this because I'm going to start overlooking it. Because I obviously can't do anything about it. you ever felt that way? Or have there been times when you said, you know, maybe I might as well just give up being a Christian because I'm obviously not strong enough. I've been there. Paul had been there. The promise is that Jesus will deliver us. As we grow in Christ, He will deliver us. In Romans chapter 8, I'll tell you just what an amazing promise Romans chapter 8 provides. And verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. If we love God, and we're submitting to His gospel, He said, I will conform you to the image of My Son. He's predestined that. That's His promise to those who love Him and submit to His gospel His way. Relying on Him. We're going to talk more in future lessons about what God does, about what we have to do. This morning, I just want to leave you with this promise. Jesus has promised to deliver you. And He will. He's promised to deliver us. And I want to conclude by telling you the rest of Paul's story. Paul, in the first part of Romans chapter 7, talked about how he became a coveter. In the second part of Romans chapter 7, he pointed out how sin had taken control. He pointed out at the end of Romans chapter 7 that Jesus delivered him. I want you to remember this verse. We've often read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Remember what he said there in Philippians 4.13? Jesus said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But have you noticed what that was in the context of? In that context, he was talking about the fact that he was in need and he was hoping the Philippians might help him, but if they did or not, he was okay. Because, notice what he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. See, he had been a coveter. But notice what he says, I learned the secret. Not I always knew the secret. 
Not it just suddenly dawned on me one day. I have learned the secret. Paul in Romans 7 said he'd been a covenant. But we learn here in Romans 4 that by Christ's strength, he learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. What is it that you're struggling with? Through growth in Christ, you will learn the secret of overcoming. It will happen. God has promised it will happen. If you grow in Christ. We're no longer sold into bondage. I hope this has been beneficial to you in helping you overcome sin as a master. Let's remember what we learned about sin. Sin is defined by God's law. Sin distorts God's law. Sin deceives us. Sin destroys us. And sin dominates us. But Jesus Christ will deliver us from sin if we will submit to his gospel. If you have any questions about sin, about man's bondage to it, about Christ's deliverance from it, please give us a call at the Franklin Church at 615-794-2359. Or you can reach us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on audio tape or on CD. If that's the case, I'd like to encourage you to go to that website I just mentioned, franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in audio and outline format, and you're free to download and use them in any way you believe will glorify God and help others be freed from the bondage of sin. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.